Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Rehab was the best thing that ever happened to me, hands down. And if I can tell one person, like, it's okay, don't be embarrassed about it, then I've done my job. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On the show today, live in person here at Offscript Media Studios in downtown Manhattan, Sarah Kotnoff, co-founder of Podsites, and more importantly, former intern at the Stupid Cancer Show, says me. Losing your father to cancer as a teenager is never a good thing. But the forced maturity it gives you can ultimately come in handy if and when more crap you didn't expect happens upon you. In Sarah's case, it was after a comedic series of misdiagnoses, psoriatic arthritis, a condition she has had to manage and learn to live with for over a decade. My origin story with Sarah as intern boss is also one for the ages because it involves a weird combination of Zac Efron, Paris Hilton, and an inherent inquisitive moxie chutzpah that gave life to the up-and-coming Stupid Cancer Show and its broadcast footprint. Among the other Wayback Machine things we talk about, there is a much more serious narrative about addiction, self-awareness, resiliency, managing mental health issues, and taking control of your life when it seems like no one has their hands on your steering wheel. So without further ado, enjoy The Chutzpah Show. I'm going to call this show the Full Circle Chutzpah Show, because I think that's a really strong way to introduce you to my listeners and to my community. I'd be surprised if maybe there's a handful of people that remember what the Stupid Cancer Show was like in the very early days. But Sarah Kotnoff, you were there in that tiny windowless little room with... Again, no windows, barely some air conditioning, black walls filled to the gills with shelves and racks. And there we were trying to change the world one stupid cancer patient at a time. What a throwback. Welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled. I, I like to be staring at you. We are socially distanced during COVID here in the Offscript Media Studios. I do need to quantify that for the listeners. I don't expect to have haters, but... You know, it is in video. They don't know. I could be lying. You could be literally like, I don't know, doing something grotesquely inappropriate. No, we're we're far apart. We are plenty apart. Yeah, I'm comfortable. Good. That's all. Yeah, because we both had COVID. We did. So whether we're carbon neutraling each other or influencing each other to get sick again, <laughs> I have no idea the event horizon of virology that's happening in between us. Yeah. What were your symptoms, by the way? Just like a cold for like two days. And then a week later, I lost my sense of smell and taste. And that's when I knew. I was like, oh, boy. 
Wait, I wait, have it. So what were you eating and or drinking when you realized this doesn't taste like anything? I don't remember, but I know that my roommate who had it also, it was when he took a shot of tequila. That's when he realized he had COVID because he was like, I can't taste this. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I had no symptoms, like like none. And the only reason I found out I was positive for antibodies was because the pediatricians called my wife and I and said, we're testing all the kids in our network, come to the doctor's office for blood and swab. So we went and then they just said, well, we can test you too while you're here, mom and dad. So we did that. I had no reason to ever go get tested outside of make sure the kids were okay. And it turns out that we're all negative for COVID, but I was the only one positive for antibodies. And I wrote about this on LinkedIn and I called a bunch of doctor friends who were like, that's not possible. <laughs> and I said, all right, take the same test again. Take the same test. So I tested four times for antibodies. I donated plasma. The, uh, uh, the, so did I. The New York High Blood five. Center. Yeah, good for us to donate plasma. And um, the New York Blood Center like confirmed they're there. I had it again. And I'm now on some kind of cockamamie immunoglobinometer test where they looked at how much antibodies I had assigned it a vague random number that means nothing. But in a month, I'm going back to see if that number is less. Should I do that? I think you should do that. I'll hook you up. That sounds fun. So two COVID survivors, is that like, is that a weird thing to say survivor? Because I think like cancer survivor, you know, you're a victim of like a car accident. What are you I, I don't know. If Too soon to know the proper terms. Yeah. <laughs> Choose our metaphor of choice. I have no idea. Make it your own. It's going to be uh, uh, Mad Libs. Let's figure it out. But I'm, I'm just thrilled to have you here. It really was a throwback. And just to our listeners, for precedent, Sarah was an intern at Stupid Cancer working on the Stupid Cancer Show, which was the first radio show for cancer in the history of radio. And it happened before the word podcast became this mainstream thing that everyone has to do today. Where did you come from to have such an innate, like you, you fit right in as if you had been doing that before when you were 20 years old? Yeah, I didn't come work for you because it was media. I came to work for you because I was doing public health at the time. And I was very interested in like the advocacy work that you were doing. So, so weird that it came full circle that that's where I started. And now I work in media exclusively. Because like you were really, I was talking to Kenny yesterday, Kenny Kane, the co-founder of Super Cancer, who was with us when you were interning and you were amazing. Like you spoiled us rotten to the best of our, I mean, we were young and stupid and maybe drunk every night when we were talking with you, but you did everything right. It was like born in you to understand media. I don't know that I was real good at understanding media at the time. I just knew I was good. I was a good worker. I remember I used to go and get drinks for everyone, and I yeah, was real but good that's at that. Like, that's like secretary crap. You, but you, I was you, good at that. You, eh, I mean, it's hard to not be good at that. And if you're really not good at that, Coke Zero. You drank Coke Zero, right? I drank way too much Coke. Okay, back remember then. I couldn't find Coke Zero, and it took me a while to figure out that Coke Zero was not the same as Diet Coke. No, they were very different, <laughs> and I, I don't. I have not had a Coke Zero since 2011. <laughs> I've been off soda since 2011. Could not deal with that anymore. Aspartame has way too many or whatever the whatever that NutraSweet crap is that's in there. Not good for you. Not good. But yeah, I love that you remember that. I, awesome stuff. Great memory. And, and again, like we're going to bounce back and forth between all sorts of things. But once I left Stupid Cancer and I realized I needed to somehow get back behind a microphone and build a media company, I was like, 
Let's go back to the archives and see if I know anybody that is working in podcasting and of all the people that are not just working, you founded a company like Sarah Cottonoff. And I remember the the very moment I'm like, I hit you up and you're like, there's no way you're doing this. Like, there's no way you're doing this. And we we just started that. What was it like for you to hear from me after all those years? It was so funny. It just came so full circle because I had been working in podcasting for probably like four or five years when I heard from you. And, you know, I'm like deep in it. And it was so funny to hear that, oh my God, MZ is doing podcasting again. And oh my God, back in the day, we were doing podcasting before podcasting was a thing. And I didn't even think of that. We never called it a podcast. No. It was always the stupid cancer show. And and I, were you there when it was live or were you there by the time it was like pre-taped? I think it was live when we were doing it. I don't remember. I just remember the room. I've been talking to people about the history of stupid cancer and the show because it's obviously the backstory behind this entire business, Offscript Media. And like the idea of live is so foreign today to younger people. It brings me back to like watching friends in college if you missed the episode you were just screwed right there were no reruns back then and you had to wait 30 years to hulu started streaming friends this was the live radio show i definitely think i was there when it was live because i remember people would chat yes <laughs> we had, it was so innovative at the time i don't overuse the word innovative but it was at the time it was live chat a live show on mondays from like eight to nine eastern and we had people from all over the world, time zones independent, just having these wonderful back and forths. And we riffed on the people in the chat rooms and we had moderators in the chat rooms. Like that doesn't exist. The glory days. Could you imagine like if we listened to Rogan live today and everyone chatted? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I think podcasting is fabulous as good old fashioned media and not necessarily social media. Yeah, it would be a disaster. The industry was really litmus testing, power testing what might work in the life before broadband, iPhones, Android, app stores. This was 2007, eight. It was crazy times. But I'm I'm deeply humbled that we, we reunited and stumbled upon another thing in common uh, besides having to deal with crap in our lives and making the most of it and making it look good. Because you have a, a wonderfully inspiring backstory. You were young. You lost your dad to cancer. And you are living with a, a chronic illness now that is maybe judged. or it, it just you have to endure with style. So let's dig in. Let's dig into that. Let's talk about, if you're open to that, let's talk about your dad. What's yes. it like to be a teenager who loses their father to cancer? Yeah. So kind of a weird story. So... It was October of my freshman year in high school. He was diagnosed with non-smokers lung cancer. And they kept saying, he's going to die in a few months. He's going to die in a few months. He only has a few months. Fast forward three years, he was still living. But it was just like brutal. Like it was not a good life. Eventually he died. I think it was my junior year of high school. So basically all through high school, he was sick. So like I didn't really have that normal of a high school experience. But yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. It was just weird. It's odd being a kid whose parent is dying of cancer. It's just like very isolating and awkward. Well, I, I, I go back to like my mind went right to the what's worse, right? Having an ailing parent for a long time and being emotionally prepared for it or just like you have cancer a week later dead. Yeah. So I have struggled with this a lot. I've been in therapy for a very long time. Like I've lived a long life. You're also a New um, Yorker, so. Yeah. 
And like, man, when he died, it was such a relief. And you feel guilty about that, yes. right? Like, Absolutely, yes. It's weird. It's like a very conflicting feeling. But like when he died, it was like a weight lifted off everyone's shoulders. But then you're sad, but you're like, oh my God, thank God it's over. So that's like hard to come to terms with. And like, it's weird because I'm an adult now, but you think back like, oh, that poor kid, right? Like dealing with that. The the image of yourself in that moment, yeah. retrospectively, I, I, I endlessly remember being 21 from a construct in my mind. And you tell the story all the time and it isn't that it's not the person and yet that was you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's weird. That's like a lot of the work I did in therapy was like being kinder to myself and being more gentle with myself because like life was hard for me. And I think, you know, as an adult, I'm learning to give myself credit for that, that I didn't really give myself credit for when I was younger. Do you feel like having uh, an experience like that as a younger person accelerated your maturity? I mean, <laughs> gave me a lot of mental problems, um, <laughs> but um, I put me in therapy at a young age, which I'm very grateful for. I think everyone should be in therapy. You know, it makes you grow up faster, I think. you That's know. That's what I meant, yeah. I, I had someone tell me, you know, I, I'm like, am I immature? But I'm not immature. I just like, I have a lot of fun, but I do think I grew up a little faster than the average kid. You learn to be self-sufficient. You learn to like not take a lot of things for granted. But yeah. It's a bit of an age boost that you didn't really necessarily ask for. Yeah. Yeah. So is that what inspired you to explore health as a potential career? Yeah. So um, I, I'd been involved with the American Cancer Society for a very long time. That's kind of what my cause was through high school. It like felt good to give back while I was going through like such a shitty situation. Am I allowed to curse on this show? Fuck yes. Cool. <laughs> my style. So yeah, I, I had been, you know, working with the American Cancer Society and just looking for more ways to get involved. And that's how I found you guys. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about that because it was one of the most oddly constructed, serendipitous-ish things to do. And I'll predicate that by telling the story of how in cancer, there's the real world of crap that actually happens. And then there's the celebrities and their black and white PSAs that I don't think really do much. But we lucked out at Stupid Cancer in the worst way because unfortunately we had a young adult cancer survivor enter our community named Emily Hobson. And she was living with a life-threatening cancer treatment schedule. But, and her cousin was Zac Efron. And this was 2000 and maybe 10, 11, what, what did you figure 2009, out? 2009, I Nine, think. 10, 11, yeah. yeah. And she wound up buying some of the stupid cancer wristbands and wearing them. And she hung out with him. He was family. He was there for her and the family. First cousins. And he started wearing the wristbands. And somehow the media started taking random pictures. Unbeknownst to us at Stupid Cancer, the media was taking pictures of Zac Efron as they would normally do paparazzi style of this black thing on his wrist with close-ups. And then we had like Google alerts back in the day and we saw this article, Zac Efron wears a stupid cancer wristband. And I'm sure these journalists had no idea that it was part of an organization because it just sounds like something you say, wow, ah, fucking stupid cancer. And Perez Hilton did a story about this without even knowing we existed and you Saw that story. How did that happen? So I, you know, wasted my college years perusing Perez Hilton, just reading garbage. <laughs> and I saw this post about Zac Efron wearing the stupid cancer bracelet. And I was like, what is this? And I Googled it. And back in the day, it was called I'm Too Young for This. Yes, I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. And Stupid Cancer was our 
tagline before hashtags were a thing. Yes. Yes. So I researched it and I was like, this is cool. Because to me, it really resonated with me because it was like no bullshit, right? Like a lot of the cancer advocacy, a lot of, a lot of bullshit. People approach you, tiptoes, you know, as like someone who's affected by cancer, you know, I didn't have it, but you know, my dad did. People act weird. And this really cut through the noise and it was very real and it resonated with me. And I was like, I need to work for them. And so I, this is probably where I first became a salesperson because I was like, I'm going to reach out blindly. I'm going to find their contact info. And I reached out and was like, hey, are you looking for an intern? And I don't think you were, but you talked to me and the rest is history. Back with our guest, after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. agree picking up on where you left off that you are a natural born salesperson and you have the moxie gumption chutzpah as i started the segment with earlier to take that initiative first of all you were the maybe the only person that saw that and decided i'm going to google this instead of just like superficially saying oh it's a another celebrity wearing a wristband or something because live strong was a big deal back then as well with the yellow wristbands and you chose to Google it back before Google was Google, found us, stalked us, and you know what? Kenny, do we need an intern? Sure. Come on out. <laughs> you came into the office and you were the intern. I really admire that level of self-starterdom that you bring to the conversation. Yeah, thanks. It's emblazoned on your, your sweater every day. Thank you. Like a positive version of the, uh, the scarlet letter. You know what's funny? I thought you were calling the show the chutzpah show because we were Jews. We we can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> but now I get it. Chutzpah. I had it. Yeah, yes. you're right. <laughs> the, yeah. The, we can go back. By the way, I mentioned chutzpah on the show a lot and I've never really explained to the audience, if you can't say chutzpah, don't try because it's not chutzpah. Yeah. That was the thing. They get a lot of chutzpah. Don't even try unless you can get the ha ha ha. Did down. I do it right? Chutzpah. Fantastic. Because I'm a Jew. You belong. Thank you. You absolutely belong. So let's dive into some of the 
perhaps, I wouldn't say darker, but more deeply rooted ways in which you've grown as an individual. And this goes back to being diagnosed at an early age with a rare condition that typically doesn't affect young women, which is psoriatic arthritis, something that may sound so benign and just deal with it. But yet, what's the reality? Yeah. So luckily I'm, I'm good now. I, I treat it. I have weekly injections that I do and it's very manageable. But when I was 20 years old, I was really sick, like real sick. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, and you were misdiagnosed. Too. I was, yeah. They thought I had MS. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And the timing sucked. I had just moved to New York. I graduated college a year early, which thank God I did, because if I was still in undergraduate, I would have had to take a medical leave. So I graduated college, moved to New York to go to grad school. Um, and I just like mysteriously started getting super sick. Like my feet would hurt and my hands would hurt. And at the time I was working in a restaurant and I was just like, it's because I'm on my feet all day. It's because my, yeah, you, make you know, up, you make up reasons in I'm, your head, you know, typing on the cash register. But I was living with my grandma at the time who, thank God, is a nurse. And one morning I woke up and I couldn't open my hands. Oh, wow. And she was like, okay, something's actually wrong with you. You need to go see a doctor. Um, and it was just like months before I was properly diagnosed. Um, what was treatment back then? Uh, it's clearly you know, changed, but what was, it, what was it back then? So I was on these pills and then the pills almost killed me. And Don't you love when that happens? Like, yeah. So then I had to get taken off the pills and then I was on injections. And, you know, I don't mind the injections. It's kind of funny when people see them in my fridge, but it is what it is. And they're painless. <laughs> What's all and this then? Like, you know, they work. So I don't I don't care. You right. know, it's, it sometimes requires an awkward discussion. But like, you know, it's not awkward for me. It's awkward for the other person. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own issues to deal with. But this was something that was another potential aging acceleration for you. In self-sufficiencies and body awareness and health. Yeah. Like I say I'm 30 years old, but man, have I lived a long life. I've, <laughs> I've yeah, seen it all. That's it. <laughs> you have the wisdom of years in a in a younger package. Yeah. Exactly. So everything's manageable now? Yeah. I mean, you know, every so often I have my flare-ups and it's one of those things where it's just like sometimes I get down and I'm like, you know, God damn it. Why do I have to deal with this? But it, you know, it is what it is. I feel like everyone has their shit and like that's just the hand I was dealt and I just have to deal with it. Is this a gateway disease to something else? I don't Have you think been so. given any predicating forecasting of what to watch out for? I think it can get bad when you're older, but you just keep it under under control now and hopefully that prevents anything from getting crazy when you're older. So um, you feel you've surrounded yourself with the right medical team or the medical care? Oh or my God, yes. And you the, just rolled your eyes, but it's a good thing. But like, yes, but like what a pain in the ass. So I was down in Atlanta for six and a half years. I had to leave my good rheumatologist here and like... That's something that like, man, if I could tell people, if you find a good doctor, hold on to them because, man, I've had my experience with bad doctors and now I'm back with my good one and it's just like a game changer. Right. And going back to how everyone needs therapy, you know, raising my hand here on the radio, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the, again, I think it's less of a stigma today because yeah. it's just the way we appreciate and we look at progress in in judgments on mental health and you can't even say crazy anymore like it's bonkers now right so learning what the new lingo is to be sensitive and aware you know i was on pain medicine for a very long time and and i thankfully i was able to mitigate it and not have to be too dependent on it but you were on xanax which under normal circumstances, perceivably would just be like, oh, it's just Xanax, but it became something different. Well, this goes back to finding good doctors. So I had some quack doctors down in Atlanta and 
I mean, I was misdiagnosed. They said I had ADHD and they put me on Adderall. Oh, well, God. it was Ritalin oh, and oh. then it was Adderall. And like, you know, I have existing, pre-existing mental health conditions. Like, you know, I've... Like being Jewish. I, like being Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> being Jewish. I have bipolar disorder. I don't know if it's one or two, whichever one it is. But if you give... Adderall to someone with bipolar disorder, goodbye. Yeah, like, I know. game changer. You can't do those SSRIs. Oh my God. And so I was on Adderall to stay awake and do my work during the day. I just started my own company. Um, and then I was on Xanax to calm myself down at night. And what a bad cycle that is. It was just horrible and I couldn't get off the ride. And I was like, I don't like the Adderall. I don't like the way it makes me feel. And they would just pull me off cold turkey. And every time they would do it, I would get suicidal every time. And I would go back to the doctor and I would say, I'm suicidal. That's not, something's off. And they would go, that means you need to be back on Adderall. Oh God. Well, at the same time, my best friend is a doctor and she was like, this isn't right. You can't be pulled off the Adderall cold turkey. And that doesn't mean that you need to be put back on it. And I was just like, it's fine. I don't want to deal with it. You know, like not listening to anyone. Like I'm too busy to deal with this. And I got in a real bad cycle and I was like popping handfuls of Xanax at a time. And then- Because that's all you knew and had. It, it was the only way I could calm down, right? Like I was so hyped up from the Adderall that like to sleep, I would need to take handfuls of Xanax. And then when I would get overwhelmed, which was pretty frequently, I would just pop handfuls of Xanax. It was bad. And it was like my only and coping they kept mechanism. Prescribing it for you over oh, and over yeah, again. Oh yeah, they were just happy to give it to that me. Is, happy to that give is it to bad me. Bad medicine, right there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of the times they pulled me off Adderall, the last time I was real messed up, and it happened three times. They pulled me off Adderall. All the prior two times, there were incidents. One time I was in the city and I was standing and seeing a balcony, and I was like getting thoughts, and I immediately went back to my psychiatrist. I was like, this is not good. The second time I took way too much Xanax. And then this third time I took so much Xanax that I overdosed and had to go to rehab. It's, this is just such a telling story of what's wrong with the medical industry and over prescribing and not even recognizing the humanity of you as a person first. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like, I just think I'm like a hyped up person, you know? Right, but understanding who you are first right. and then what you need second, right. not just, here, here's a script, enjoy yourself and Godspeed. Yep, that's exactly what happened. That's that's bad. Yeah, that, but, but I, so I'm, prevalent. Many listeners are probably shaking their heads or nodding their heads at this point now because this is millions of Americans. It doesn't always have to be opioids. It could be anything. Well, that's what's so funny is when I went to rehab, I didn't tell my mom. So I... I had overdosed. I went to a mental hospital. Great time. Let me tell you, boy, do I have stories about that. And then I- For another show. Yeah, for another (laughs) show. And then there was like three weeks where I was trying to, by myself, and you know, some friends were helping me trying to find myself a rehab place. And the night before I called my mom, because I didn't tell her any of this was going on. And I was like, I'm going to rehab. And she thought it was for cocaine and opioids. And I was like- That seemed like a natural response though. I I was like, no, it's for medication that the doctor gave me that I can't get off of. Like I cannot get off the ride. I was addicted. So was it a fairly standard, I guess, quote unquote, standard detox period for you? So they detoxed me in the, I should stop calling. I don't know. Are you allowed to say mental hospital? The loony bin? I don't know. I don't I'm allowed care. to say it because I was there. So like, when I was there, yeah, they detoxed you, you, me. Yeah, well, you Only you can say yeah. that. I can't say that. You can say that. <laughs> when I was in the mental hospital, they detoxed me properly. So they like weaned me off the stuff as I should have been weaned off properly in the first place. Um so yeah, they medically detoxed me and then sent me on my way. 
So then what happened? Are you now stable? Uh, Whatever stable means, right? I mean, so I'm on, you know, drugs for my mental health issues. Great. Better living through drugs. That's what my dad used to say. Well, that's Pfizer. Pfizer's original. Pfizer, not a sponsor. Pfizer's original tagline was better living through chemistry. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I mean, listen, it keeps me stable. It's kind of sad. but It is sad because the drugs almost killed me. But, you know, now I have good doctors. I have great doctors. And, um, you know, I'm very, like rehab was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hands down. If everyone could go, I highly recommend it. That's your t-shirt. Changed my life. the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I'm not even kidding though. Right. Yeah. But it goes back to how we're often too mentally insular with what's wrong with us. And it's okay to open up and be vulnerable. Well, when I, when this happened to me, my mind was blown when people were telling me, oh, I went to a psychiatric hospital. I was like, no way, you're kidding. More people than I could even count on one hand blew my mind. But it's like an in the closet thing, right? But as soon as one person says it, everyone opens up to you. Yeah. And so now I just talk about it freely because I don't care. You know, I feel like it's part of my life. I'm glad it happened to me. It made me a better person. And if I can tell one person, like, it's okay, don't be embarrassed about it, then I've done my job. I mean, I see that as progress of society, that there's less stigma around acknowledging that you're imperfect, right? Whatever perfect means, because there is no perfect, you've been through something that other people think that they shouldn't be allowed to talk about. Right. Like cancer was the whisper campaign in the 90s. He's got the cancer, right? That was me. And that was the 90s, right? The 80s, 70s, forget it. Today, cancer for many, many more people, I won't say a badge of honor, but it's a, a point of pride that they're part of a tribe that supports them without that judgment. And you're more, more willing to say, I had cancer too these days than you may have been 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And what I find is like, it's weird because it's not so much awkward for me. It's always awkward for the other person. And that's what I just want to like get away from. I feel like it's the same with cancer. Like when I used to be like, oh, my dad has cancer. Like people would be so weird or like people's like, Where your, where's your dad? I'm like, oh, he he died when I was a kid. Oh, it's weird. You know, you it's not weird. Thing, you it's like not weird. Yeah. It's life. People die. Like people go to rehab. Like yeah. it, it's just life. And like even with me not drinking, It's weird for people, not weird for me, but it's weird for other people. And I just wish like as a society, we could all just like get away from that. Well, I mean, I know a lot of recovering alcoholics and, you know, they don't wear like the don't ask me about wine badge. But, you know, you're in a social event and you say, can I buy you a drink? And it's like, no, I'm clean. You know, that used to be like a knee jerk. Oh, my God, really? You were drunk? No one does that anymore. You accept the fact that I appreciate that. That's brave. That's fascinating. Good for you on taking control of what's important in your life. That is that I that's a testament to where I, I'd like to believe we've evolved as a species in the last 30 years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really do feel like most people are pretty accepting of it. Every so often you get someone who's just like super weird about it. Um, but you know, I, I do feel like we are getting better. And I think that's a testament to like, you know tooting my own horn, but like media, like I'm very interested in how like media can shape society and like by people being more public with their stories and it becoming more accessible to other people, like it's just making society better and like making people more understanding of others. 
Right. So let's get to the fun stuff. So now you're in media. You're, you founded a podcast company called Podsites. What, what, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch? Um, so we are an attribution tool for podcasts. And what that means is we allow podcast advertisers uh, measure the success of their ads. I would imagine that's very important. Yeah, because... You're like, defining value in a medium that is relatively unknown, right? Yeah. So before us, there was really no good way to measure you know, how podcast ads work. It was like use a coupon code or a vanity URL, but people don't really use them. So it's mm -hmm. not a good measure of how well Yeah, you hear that all the work. time in other podcasts. Use code this. Yeah, stupid. doesn't work. Right. So, um, you know, for us, it's like, it's a way to get bigger brands into the space because we can say to like, you know, your traditional, like, like an auto advertiser. You mean that whole industry of vehicles yeah, that shuttle vehicles, us around with four those wheels? Things, yes. Those things with lots of ad dollars. You can say, give me $500,000 because I can tell you that it's going to work. Right. Right. It's hard to say to them, give me $500,000 and I'm not going to give you anything in return. Like it's just a guessing game. So That whole ROI business still matters, huh? Still matters. All right. So you're stuck on an island with all the food you need and you only can listen to three podcasts for the rest of your life. What are they? Oh, so this is where the truth comes out. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to one and I listen to it all the time. Which is? Ooh, not mine. It's Call Her Daddy. Oh, so embarrassing. Why? Because that show is just... Is it a serialized show? No, it's just this girl who it's a barstool sports show and she just she's really pretty and she i'll be pg she like dates athletes and lives a very pretty girl life mm -hmm. that's very foreign to me so i like to listen to hear how like pretty people live does that make you feel better about yourself or worse about yourself because i would like to think that you would define that as like a guilty pleasure that doesn't define how you look at yourself um both, but this is a guy mansplaining this both, thing, so Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder what it would be like to look like that. How easy would my life be? <laughs> to spend but, one day in the skin of someone else? Yeah. But then other days I'm like, your life is crazy. I'm so glad that's not me. Yeah. I want to be Dwayne Johnson for a day. That's about it. I don't <laughs> yeah. think I tolerate that. Yeah. Tap in, tap out. Yeah. Reminds me of that movie called Bedazzle with Liz Hurley and uh, Brendan Fraser, where he got to make wishes and she's the devil. So they're tricks in the wishes, but he got to live a life in the skin of someone else for a day and he hated every one of them. So I would only imagine I would only get what I pay for by being Dwayne Johnson for a day. Yeah. Like I would like to be this girl for one day. Just one. Just one? Yeah. We'll call her up. Listen, I've, <laughs> I've tried to get to her. I'm like, can I talk to her can i hang out with her can she i want to be your friend can she do my voicemail like right. i've tried to get to her <laughs> that's awesome i can't thank you enough for coming in today and and doing this full circle you know um way back machine conversation on vulnerability and opportunities and just moxie and chutzpah back to that word sarah kotinov is the co-founder of pod sites former intern at the stupid cancer show and overall extraordinarily engaging and inspiring young woman. Thank you for making this an epic conversation. Oh my God, you're so kind. Thank you. I know how to outro again. You do. All right. Take care, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. 
For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.